0: As Mark already sure we got a full service this morning as uh, we just celebrate uh, not only a baptism, but what God is doing in people's lives. And as our children go to Children's Church at this time, we just uh, pray they have a great time with their leaders as they uh, focus on the on the person of Christ. One of the things that we have been doing since basically uh, fall of last year, 2012, is we've been putting out a PT with God, Personal Time with God, a little booklet And uh, some of you have really made that a habit of your life to spend a a few moments reading together with the rest of the the church family this week We took a break from our series in Matthew We went through Genesis reading through it devotionally and then we uh, started with Matthew this week We're taking a break and looking at the last week of Jesus is so through the Gospel of John. So I encourage you to make this a part of your Easter week by reflecting upon Jesus, by looking at the passages that will kind of speak about his crucifixion as, as well as his resurrection. So uh, just a little advertisement on that. I'll make that a good habit of just uh, spending time in God's Word. Well, about a year ago, we started a series in the book of Genesis, and we uh, took a slow look at it, uh, a very intense look at as we looked at the first few chapters in the book of Genesis and try to examine that whole a beginning of everything uh, with uh, God's announcement that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And then as we began uh, continuing on that series, realized that we might be in this series forever. And, and so I began to speed up a little bit. And so we are finishing it today. And some of you are so disappointed because you weren't with us every Sunday this series. So what I thought I'd do is I'd review everything I said over the last year. Uh, <laughs> Well, maybe not. But anyway, we're, we're going we're gonna to try to finish up, kind of look a little bit backward as well as look a little head forward as uh, we begin looking at right after Easter, we're gonna have a new series, God's Perfect Design. We're going to look at how God has uniquely made us and wants to use us in ways that, that really please Him. Uh, even though Brandon just prayed, let's pray one more time, ask God to take um, this, this great passage of Scripture and use it for us to focus on what He wants us to learn this morning. Let's pray together. Father, just help us to concentrate, help us to focus, help us to to know uh, your word for our lives, help, help us to get a, a better look at who you are, and we, and we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your outline this morning, I hope you kind of follow along as we uh, kind of race through some things this morning. I never do that on a Sunday, but uh, I will try to, uh, try to. Uh, uh, well, anyway, I, I true confession, I, I will be speaking... I will try to slow down already. I, I see my heart racing and my mouth moving, so we'll, we'll try to slow down a little bit. But this morning's message is entitled, God Knows. And if you're a theologian and went to Bible school or seminary, they would, they would use a two-bit word there. They say God is omniscient. God knows everything. And for us who are at least uh, as, as old as I am, maybe you could be a little bit younger than I am. You remember a commercial series where it says, "Bow Knows? Anybody you remember that commercial series, "Bow Knows? It was a Nike Raise your hand like you're still listening to me. All right. Uh, Bo knows, and if you remember Bo knows, in fact, they just had a ESPN uh, contest to figure out who was the greatest athlete among all the professional athletes, and I don't even really know who won that particular um, survey or contest. But Bo, uh, Bo Jackson was, was and is, I mean, he's still alive today, one of the greatest athletes America's ever known. He was an all-star in two sports, football and baseball, Uh, Won a World, uh, didn't win a World Series, but he went to an all-star game, both of them, and was just a phenomenal athlete to the point where Nike said, I think we can make some money off him. So it was not only Bo knows football, Bo knows baseball, Bo knows track, Bo knows cycling, Bo knows Everything. Went from fishing to dancing to checkers to whatever it might be. He knew everything that could relate to somehow a person being talented and particularly in the physical area. Now, if Bo knows a lot of things, there is someone who knows more than Bo and who's that, that's God. And we're gonna see that this morning. And as we sometimes as we look at the the greatness of all that God knows, we need to know that that God knows everything and, and we don't. And sometimes what we don't know can Kind of, kind of hurt us at times. I was reading a story, kind of remind me of a personal experience of a, of a person that that maybe you can relate to this. Um, he, he, this is a man who filled his car with gas at a self service gas station. After he had paid and driven away, he realized that he had left the gas cap on the top of his car. That was before you know had that little thing that that connected to your gas tank. He stopped and looked, and sure enough, it was lost. Anybody experienced that? Anybody ever lost a gas cap? I put Bibles on the top of my car, lost Bibles. I put, when I was drinking 44-ounce 44 44 stuff, you know, put it on the top, you know, I've, I've lost everything on the top of my car. Well, he thought for a second, realized that other people must have done the same thing and that it was worth going back to look by the side of the road since even if he couldn't find his own gas cap, he might be able to find one that fit. Sure enough, he hadn't been searching long when he found a gas cap. He tried it on and it went into place with a satisfying click. Great, he thought. I lost my gas cap, but I found another one that fits. And this one's even better because it locks. Now, those who groaned got it and those who didn't groan so what's the point, all right? <laughs> the problem is, if it locked, you better have the what? The key. Sometimes it helps to know, or it helps to know someone who does know. Hopefully at that time you have someone in your car say, don't put the gas cap on because it locked and we don't have the key. As you go through life, you're not going to know everything, but you can know someone who does know everything. And even though we will never get everything he knows, we can rely upon him and look to him, and particularly things he's put down in in paper in this book, it's, it's an opportunity for us to understand what life is all about. Well, this morning we're going to do a, a quick review of the whole book of Genesis, and then we're going to see the last three chapters, the parts we haven't gotten to, and see some things that, that God knows that I think he wants us to know as well. So if you ever outline this morning, let's, let's jump in. God knows. What does God know? First of all, God knows what Genesis is all about. Now let's Pretty obvious, but let me let me put it a different way. Even though the fill in the blank is God knows what Genesis is all about, what God knows is what the beginning is all about. If you ever, uh, one of the things that frustrates me, I know Brandon's a big movie buff, whatever it might be, but if if I do spend some money to go see a movie, that the one thing I cannot stand is going to, and actually, if I pay money, go to a movie when I miss the what. The beginning. Because if you've missed the beginning, you, you, can, you can be frustrated during the entire film trying to figure, well, what's the point? What's, what's the big drama? What's the, what's the point here? What are we trying to figure out that's supposed to happen at the end? How is it supposed to resolve if, if I can't figure out what's the problem at the very beginning? Well, God not only knows the end, but he knows the beginning. And, and the book of Genesis, if you forget this, the, the word Genesis means Beginning. And as we look at the, really the, the offer of God to us to kind of get a glimpse of it, it, it begins with him taking Moses uh, hundreds of years, <laughs> uh, thousands of years before this happened, and said, you know, the people of Israel, as they are God's covenant people, as God is using them to, to define who he is and to determine how you connect with the living God they, they didn't understand how this all started. So as they're in the wilderness, God takes Moses and begins to record Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. And it's for the purpose of God's covenant people to understand what's going on. And, and we have the opportunity to look back now at that and say, we understand as well. And just to give you an overview, let me let me just look at some things this morning that kind of puts the book of Genesis, you know, in bite sized pieces. The first one I've already mentioned, what's Genesis all about? First of all, it's all about creation. If you have your Bibles, we're going to race through uh, just looking at a couple passages, a number of passages that highlight this. It's about creation. Genesis one one in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we have a whole world out there that want to kind of destroy people's faith by saying, well, it doesn't fit with their scientific model. But let me tell you, there's no one in the world that has a handle on origins. How did it all start? And the Bible is very clear. It all started with who? God. In the beginning, God. God created the heavens, and the earth. And if you don't have some concept of God, what you've got in terms of explaining this universe is nothing plus nothing resulted in everything. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. That nothing plus nothing resulted in everything. The Bible says there was a beginning, and that beginning started with God, and God created everything. From his hand and from a word out of his mouth. What is Genesis all about? What is the beginnings all about? It's about God. And in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But what happened next? Genesis also is all about corruption. Corruption. And we could illustrate that so many different ways. We could look at Genesis chapter three, where the first corruption happened with Adam and Eve. But I want to get very specific about a corruption. Look at the first offspring, Genesis chapter four, verse eight, where it says, Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother and what? And killed him. It, It didn't take long for for us to take what God had made, which was good. Was very good, and we decided to go our own way, and corruption, sin, evil spread throughout the whole world. And, you know, people wonder well, all about you know, what's, the, what's, the, what's the answer as far as why evil exists in this world. Well, the simple word from God's word out of the book of Genesis is all you have to do is look in, in the mirror. How would you like your thought light to be projected on the screen just this week? Where does that come from? It comes from evil within our heart because we rebelled against God. What's Genesis? What's the beginnings all about? It begins with God. God created the heavens and the earth. Secondly, it results in corruption. Third, it results also in condemnation. God, because he's a holy God, will deal with evil. In Genesis chapter 6, let's begin with actually verse 5. It says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Well, how great was the wickedness in the earth? And it says this, And that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. You know, try to go an hour without having a, <laughs> a selfish thought or a or bad intent. T- try an entire day or try an entire week and add up what happens within our own heart. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, verse 7, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I'm sorry that I have made him. And so the message of Genesis is it began with God. God created everything, but we corrupted it. And there's going to be a consequence for sin. It's condemnation from God. Now, God could have left it there. But God is not only holy and righteous and just, but he's also loving, compassionate and merciful. And so the next major idea about the book of Genesis is that God, it's about a covenant. It's about an agreement. It's about a pact. It's about a contract. It's about something that God wants to do for people in this world. And it begins with his picking out an individual by which this story will be unfolded and developed. In Genesis chapter 17, verse 1 and 2, it says, When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant, my contract, my promise between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. And we have from that that it says that, and Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him to righteousness. Are people saved in the Old Testament differently than they are saved in the New Testament? They're all saved the same way. It's when we understand who God is and who we are, that God is, he's the creator and he's holy and righteous and just. And the only option that we have is to believe in his promise that he's given to us. And if we'll believe in him and his provision for us, the promise, the covenant he makes with us, then we can become right with him. Now, that's fully Consummated in the person of Jesus who we celebrate demonstrably this week. in that Jesus went to the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. Rose again mightily so he is the victor over death. And our choice is do we believe in his promise that he gives to us? That we are saved not by our by our works but by his Grace. And it's a gift of God and that he wants us to come to him. So what's the beginning about? It's about creation. It's about corruption. It's about condemnation. It's about a covenant, a promise that God gives. And the greatest promise is, is the sending of his son for us. And then it's about conversion. And actually, the conversion story beginning, begins with the third chapter in the book of Genesis that I have to resist the temptation to re-explain. But in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, as Adam and Eve brought sin in this world, an evil one is one that enticed him to rebel against God. It says that in the very beginning, God said, I am I am bringing the solution uh, through a seed that I will bring to this earth. And it says in Genesis 3.15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, which means uh, there's a battle going on all this time in between your seed, all the population of this world and uh, uh, and her seed uh, between the seed of uh, the evil one and the seed of the one that God was presenting. And he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now, that's pectoral language saying that when God sends the promised one, it, it, it looks like the evil one, Satan, is winning. Because when when Friday happens, and Jesus is put on the cross and crucified and dies, it appears like this, that Satan won, doesn't it? But he didn't remain in the grave. He he got bruised, but Jesus was given a fatal blow to the evil one because he would rise victoriously from the cross. And so it's it's the story of conversion that God would send the solution for our sin. Now in Genesis 49, in the blessing to Dan, there's a great picture of, of this being conversion or salvation because look at... Genesis 49, verse 18, and it says simply this, uh, I have waited for your salvation, O Lord. So what's the book of Genesis about? It's all about creation. It's all about corruption. It's all about condemnation. But then there's covenant. There's the promise of God sending the seed that will be Jesus for us. And then it's conversion as we put our faith and trust in him and salvation results. What does God know? God knows everything about the beginning because he started it all. God knows Genesis, everything about Genesis, what it's really all about. But as we look at the last chapters in the book of Genesis, I I, I want us to, to focus on a few other things. God not only knows what Genesis or beginning, the beginning is really all about. God also knows what you really don't understand. And what we're going to look at, we're going to look at Jacob and, and what he didn't really understand. If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 40, 47, which is the section we looked a little bit like at last week. And then we'll get into 48. But if you remember, um, Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. And we see, in a sense, that that is changing a life from a direction he was going to another direction, which is really what conversion or salvation is all about. I once was lost and now I'm found. I once was Jacob, one who was trying to manipulate everything in my world. He was the heel snatcher. He was the one who, who wanted to go above his brother Esau, and he was climbing over him. And his mom was was supporting that. And he was he was trying to manipulate life. We we never do that, right? We never try to control our own experiences of what's happening in life. We you know we we we're we're uh, we're willing just to kind of let God take over. Well, you know, Jacob struggled with that. And finally, he came to the point where he had, he encountered God, and he wrestled with God, and he struggled with God, and God changed his name to Israel. But as he looked back at his experience, he, he really didn't understand all that God was doing in his life and was allowing in his life. Now, we never struggle with that either, right? Everything that happens in your life, you have a, a perfect explanation for it, right? And you're particularly happy about everything that happens in your life. Okay, so so we might relate a little bit with Jacob at this point or Israel at this point because, man, he, he just he doesn't understand. And it's one thing if you don't understand, but if if it's another thing if you almost begin to think that that God doesn't understand. And we all do that. We throw up in our prayers the why question. Correct. God, why? Why is this happening? God, why? And behind that why question, and God can handle that kind of prayer, but it's that sense, God, I'm not really sure you know what's going on here. Because if you knew, this this obviously wouldn't have happened, particularly to me or to people I care about. And even this past week, I got some prayer requests in a variety of different settings where I can't explain it to people why why those things happen to them, or to the people they care about? And so, in Genesis forty-seven, verse nine and ten, we we have Jacob, and we'll just call him Jacob the whole time now. Jacob appearing to Joseph, his his son, whom he thought he had lost, and also to the Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world at that time. And and Jacob says to Pharaoh in this interview that, and let me just kind of put it in a. You know They talk about communication as being uh, maybe 30% verbal and 70% nonverbal. It means your facial expressions, your body language, your tone of voice. And this is probably a little bit how Jacob is talking to Pharaoh. The, the days of my years of my pilgrimage are 100, 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. And they have not attained the days, the years, the life of my father's in the days of their pilgrimage. I mean, he, Jacob's not only the heel snatcher, he's the whiner, all right? He, here he's encountered God in amazing ways. God has appeared to him eight times in a vision. He says, you're going to be the father of a great nation. I, you know, I started with Abraham and Isaac, and you're the one who's... The, The tribe's going to be known. You're going to be Israel. The the people that come from your loins are going to be called Israel. And he's whining. Why why is he whining? Because he doesn't understand. And what he doesn't understand is, how come my life wasn't, you know, like my grandfather's? How, How come my life wasn't like my dad's? And we never play that comparison game with people, do we? Never. I mean, we never struggle by way of comparison. He, he, looked, at, he looked at his uh, grandfather, Abraham, and Abraham uh, lived to 175 years of age. He, he looked at his dad, Isaac. He lived to 180. And Jacob, at this point, was 130. He didn't think he'd make it to 131. He said, few are my days, just numerically. And, and even the quality of my days... That, they were kind of evil. And you're thinking, really? Really, Jacob? Now, they weren't easy years, but at that point, he, he call, describes them that way because he, he didn't understand. God knew that he was using all those things to shape his life. And if we were to put a blanket over all the things that we struggle with, it's, it's God is using all those things that happen in our life to shape our lives. But we just don't like the process of him shaping. And and we well, why can't you shape me in the way you're shaping that person over there? It seems a lot easier for them to be shaped than it is for me. And all we can say is, God knows. God knows how we need to be shaped. And it, it's often different than how he shapes others. And here I'm tempted to tell you a further story of Ellie's shaping, okay? I, there's some shaping that she had to go through. I, I wouldn't have wanted to go through some of the things that took her to get shaped to where she is today. But, but God knows. Now, something changes. Look at, uh, I ought to be speaking faster. All right, look at uh, Genesis 48. A little bit later on here. And actually, actually, what happens here is Jacob lives a little bit longer than he thinks he's going to live. He didn't die at 131. He, he actually lived another 17 years. You know, some of you think, you know, you don't have a whole lot of time left. You know, God can, he can extend your ears a lot more than you think he can. So take whatever time you got and live it to its fullest. He lived another 17 years. And here he has this conversation. And we're, we're picking up basically now when he's blessing Joseph's two sons here. And now look at the commentary on his life. Verse 15. God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, The God who has, now listen to this, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day, the angel, probably the manifestation of God and the miraculous ways that he had experienced him and his forefathers experienced it, who has redeemed me from all what? Evil. He called all of his days before evil. Now he says the angel has redeemed him or, or, or set him free from all the evil that is in the world. Bless the lads. Let my name be among them and let the name my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. What happened? Somehow between Genesis 47 and Genesis 48, it might have taken him 17 years. He began to look at God, not as a God who didn't understand, but a God who what? Did understand. A God who knows. And now he doesn't look back at his years as being evil days, but a God who is Set him free from the evilness of the day. Now, did anything actually happen, change historically in his life? No, those same difficult things had happened, but now he had a different perspective. Because he had not he had a different look at who God is. God knows. And really all those things that were so difficult, God, God got me through them and he used them to shape me. And and now look at look at this family I have. I got I got 12 sons, and God is gonna take this and a great nation has come for me. And look at Joseph. He's got Ephraim and Manasseh. And I'm, I'm blessing them. I mean, he's just overwhelmed by God's goodness. You know who really knew how good God had been to Jacob before Jacob knew how good God had been to Jacob? A pagan. Well, it's quite possible. Some interesting, I think, that, that Joseph's experience with God was so dramatic and so life-changing that it's quite possible that Joseph had led some of the people in Pharaoh's court, even Pharaoh, to faith in Christ. But what happened is Pharaoh knew that God was good to Jacob before Jacob knew how good God was to Jacob. Look back at 47, 47 verse 10, the verse I did not read out of this section. It says this, so Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from before Pharaoh. Now, to me, as I read that verse initially, I thought, I don't get this. Pharaoh, most powerful man, most prosperous man, most wealthy man in the world, has everything he wants beyond his imagination. And here you have this sojourner from a a land he had escaped from because he couldn't feed his family. And he comes into Pharaoh's court and who blesses who? Normally, if someone blesses you, they're the one who is more prosperous than you. I I bless you, my son, you know. But it was Jacob who looked like he was the lesser blessing the one who seemed to be better. But Pharaoh knew, even though he was so prosperous and powerful, that Jacob was the one who was the better blessing what looked like the one who should have been blessing. You look at Hebrews chapter 7, verse 7, it's, it's always the better that blesses the lesser, not the lesser that blesses the better. You understand what I'm, what I'm trying to say here? It is that God really knows what we don't understand, and we don't understand how blessed we are. Now, <laughs> the subpoints and I'm not going to explain, but I think they're obvious. Your future can be better than your past. Jacob began to experience that in those last 17 years. And he began to realize all or at least some of the things God was doing. And, and in particularly, as we think about our lives, we know in eternity, it's going to be so much better than we have here. Our future is un, unimaginably how great it's going to be. And, and then secondly, you can bless people much better off than you. When we share our faith, and hopefully you're going to have opportunity to share your faith this week, sometimes you might be uh, trying to invite people to church to hear about Christ, and you think, well, <laughs> what, what do they need to come to church? They've got everything they want and need. Their life is just perfect. Look it. If you have Jesus and they don't, who is more blessed? You know, what's a prophet man who gains the whole world and loses his what? His soul. You can bless, be a blessing to those who seem to be better off than you because you have Jesus. So what does God know? He knows everything about what the beginning is all about, and he knows what you really don't understand. And you're thinking, how do I how am I gonna get through the next two points, right? Really rapidly. <laughs> God knows he has everything really under control. There are sections in the in the Bible that are are difficult at times to, to glean truth out of. You're saying, nah, I'm not sure why you wasted the page, uh, you know, for this. And, and Genesis 49 is one of those things where you see Joseph beginning blessing his sons, and he you know, he goes through all that. But I, I just want to pick out one son real rapidly. Look at Genesis 48, uh, verses 8 through 12. He gets to Judah. Uh, he actually shares some consequences to the, the, the sons that had done some evil deeds and, uh, and the blessing there was somewhat monitored by their actions in the past. But in, in Genesis 49, verse 8, uh, 8 through 12, we have these words. Judah, you are to be whom your brothers shall praise. Actually, the word Judah, the name Judah actually means praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children will bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp from the prey. My son, you have gone up. So the idea of Judah, the, the uh the the lion uh, of David, he bows down, uh, he, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion he shall rouse him. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. Verse 11, stop there for a moment because I want to comment on that in just a second. He talks about Judah and says, you, you know, you're going to be uh, the... Uh, the lion, you're going to be the one in which the scepter, the rule of authority, will not pass from um, from your hand. But as he as he gives this blessing, this Jacob giving blessings to his sons, you're thinking about you know Judah really. Now, now Judah was a powerful tribe it, it, in, in terms of counting; it might have been the most populous uh, tribe, but it really. You know, as you look at the beginning of those who came to positions of, of responsibility and power in, in, in Israel, Judah was kind of uh, on the back side of this. He says, "From your line, people will rule." Well, just give me an idea here. Moses, he was from the tribe of Levi, Joshua was from the tribe of Ephraim, Gideon was from the tribe of Manasseh, Samson was from the tribe of Dan, Samuel was from the tribe of Ephraim, and Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin. Where was Judah? This promise of Judah being the place in which the scepter would rule didn't happen till a little boy named David. And then from David on, the rule was from the, the tribe of Judah. And, and who was going to be the ruler from the tribe of Judah? Jesus. And so, as you look at this, I mean, for 640 years, uh, w- when's this going to happen? W- was was God in control? W- w- was somehow was God unable to fulfill what what he had inspired Jacob to say? God's really under control, even even when he's not according to our timetable. Uh, the tribe of Judah will rise up to rule and the tribe of Judah will bring in the Messiah. Now, if God can, can move nations and bring positions of power to people who are minimal in the eyes of others, can God control the things that are happening in your life? See, as we look at God knows, God knows the beginning, God knows we don't understand, and God knows that He's really in control. He can be trusted. And then probably the most, you know, I don't know, powerful passage is the right way to say it, but the most striking passage in the book of Genesis is found in the last chapter in the book of Genesis. And, and I would simply put it this way. God knows what is really good. God knows what is really good. Look at Genesis 50 verses 19 through 21, and I have it in your outline, but it says this, Joseph said to them, do not be afraid, for I am in the place of God. Uh, Now, you might be saying, what's the context of this? Well, Jacob does die. He thought he's going to die right around 130, 131, 132. He, He basically lives to 147. He blesses all the sons, and then he 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 makes Joseph promise to take him back to the promised land. He takes him back to the promised land. They all get back and all of a sudden the the brothers are beginning to think, "Uh-oh. Uh, our safety net has just been transported to Canaan. Uh, what wh- what are we going to do now?" Joseph probably was was not giving us our just due, the punishment for selling him into slavery. And now we're going to get it. And so they begin to plead with him. In fact, they even they even bring up their dad and say, Remember remember, dad? You wouldn't want to dishonor dad. I mean, what would dad want? I mean, they're afraid they're going to get punished for what they had done. <laughs> Joseph says, Do not be afraid. For am I in the place of God? Now, you can take that one of two ways. In fact, people take it one of two ways. Some people say what he is saying is, look at." I am not God. You know, God is the one who brings justice. He is the one who will will make those things that were wrong, right? Or or what he's saying here is, is, uh, I am in the place of God, and since I am in a position of power and responsibility, and God has raised me up. But even though he has raised me up, I want you to understand this, verse 20. But as for you, you met evil against me, but God met it for what? Good. In order to bring about it as is to this day to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid for I'm not only going to provide for you, but also your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Now, the obvious thing is that we often plan what is evil but God only plans what is good. Now, now the point there is, is, is Joseph had every right at this point to just give them what they had done in a, sh- in a shared pers- uh, proportion of all that they had taken him through in terms of all the suffering and pain. But he he recognized that, that God knows. God knows what is good. And even the most difficult things that happen in our life, God can use that so that, that our life story can make a difference in other people's stories. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. And what was the good? Many people got rescued and saved. You know, on this Easter week, Passion Week, all of us are placed in various corners of this community. And sometimes, we wonder, well, why am I here? Why am I not over there? Why is this happening in my life, rather than that happening in my life? And the only thing we say, well, God knows. We might not know, but God knows. But one thing we can know about what God knows is that God has placed us wherever we are, at least at that point in our life, to be used to, to help save people in whatever predicament they're in. Maybe draw them into the Savior or just being a, a, a avenue by which God's love is displayed and that God's name is magnified because God's people love like God loves, cares like God cares, listens like God listens, and, and He wants to use us to, to impact people around us. And if we weren't there, who, who would be there? And sometimes the answer would be nobody. But his place is there so that that we can do that which is good. Even though someone might have put us there meaning to do evil to us, but he's left us there at least at that moment to do good. God knows. God knows what the beginning is really all about. God knows what we don't really understand. God knows that everything is really under his control. God knows what is really good. the question for us, on one level, is does God know us? And do we also know that God wants to use us in a way that will be an instrument in his hands to make an impact on a world that needs him? Let's pray. Jesus said that he knows his sheep and his sheep hears his voice. Well, maybe there's someone here this morning that doesn't know you in a personal way. And God knows whether any of us are a true child of his. But the, the imitation is for us to, to come to know the one who can know us more than anyone else can ever know us. And that's the one who made us and set his son to die for us. If you don't know the Lord in a personal way, we invite you simply to open up your heart and your life and say yes to Jesus, God. I want to know you. I want to follow you. I want to be your child. And then, Father, also if if we if we already know you, then 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 we want to just place our lives confidently in your hands. Most of us here, if 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 we were if we were you, we would change some of the things that have happened and maybe some of the things that will happen, but. God, you know much better than us. Help us trust in the God who knows, that he knows best. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.